You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for tuning in, downloading, streaming, however you're putting this podcast in your head. Maybe it's like a full transcription. I'm just kidding. That would be absolutely crazy, but not too crazy because, you know, podcasts have been turned into other mediums. But I digress. You are here to listen to a discussion with people who are involved in independent music. And today is, of course, no exception to that rule. The guest this week is Kevin Kiley. He is the lead vocalist from Chicago punk band Lurk, who just recently released a record on, or a new record on Pure Noise. And it's really, really good. I enjoy it immensely. I think you definitely should check it out. If you're a fan of, like, you know, culture abuse, like that sort of, you know, Joyce Manor, like poppy punk, but not like pop punk. You know what I'm saying? So that they, they do it really, really well. Um, and I, I think that uh, you would enjoy the record. And it's uh, it's called Around the Sun. That's uh, that's the thing that you should listen to at any streaming platform. And frankly, when this was pitched to me, I was like, I, I enjoyed Lurk. I wasn't like intimately familiar. But then I started to poke around and uh, Kevin seemed like an interesting dude, you know, long, long history within the context of punk and hardcore. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this interview. And, uh, Kevin, he, he produced, it was really, really fun. We enjoyed, uh, each other's company. He told me about his work on the railroads, which is crazy, but, uh, he did that and that was really cool. But, um, yeah, you can always email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I always see those emails, respond to it when I can. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty good about responding for the most part. And if you're waiting on a response from me, I apologize, but I'll get around to it. And uh, you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts. This show is made more legitimate. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. When you leave reviews on the Apple Podcasts platform, it will uh, help the visibility of the show. So please do that. And uh, I got to talk to you. I did something interesting this past weekend. I went to the, uh, my employer is iHeartRadio, and they have a music festival called the iHeartRadio Festival, obviously. (laughs) It's in uh, Vegas every year. And so I went to it, and uh, I obviously have not been to a large arena-type show in many, 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 many months, years for this at this point. And, uh, you know, everybody was very safe and sane. There was masks all over the place. He had to, you know, provide vaccine proof. He had to provide a negative COVID test, all this stuff. But um, it was, uh, man, there, like, I saw artists like Dua Lipa, who, you know, I mean, she, her music's really cool. I enjoy what she does. You know, do I listen to her on the regular? No. But it was such a hodgepodge of artists. So you got like Dua Lipa and then like, then you have like Darius Rucker and Cheap Trick, and uh, I only went to one night, so I did not see like Coldplay and then All Time Low played some, so, so you know some uh, maybe punk adjacent acts, but I did get to see Weezer, and they were really good because they actually played some songs off the Blue album. Um, they also unfortunately played uh, Beverly Hills and Hashpipe, which are songs that uh, I could never hear again, and I will be uh, happy about that. But it's just. It's so interesting to see how people interact with music and like, you know, this is essentially just kind of like a mixtape of all the stuff that's sort of on the radio right now. And it was just, it was really interesting to watch that. And then uh, the only, uh, I guess, what I would define as cursed music that I heard that evening was as I was leaving, Nelly was performing, which Nelly, totally cool, fine, got no problem with him. But then Florida Georgia Line 
And if you have not uh, been subjected to the music of Florida Georgia Line, no shots against you if you enjoy them, because I'm not the person that's going to yuck someone else's yum. But um, man, to my ears, that sounded awful. And I was already aware of what Florida Georgia Line was sounds like, so it wasn't a surprise to me. But geez louise, man, they came on and I was watching them and I'm like... This, not only does this make me feel old, but make it makes me feel like I'm listening to music from another planet. But um, anyways, just some funny observations that I wanted to share with you all. But um, music that is completely listenable. Great. How about that transition, right? Pretty good? <laughs> anyways, here's Kevin Kiley from Lurk. You need to listen to their new record. Really, really good. And uh, Kevin's a fun chat. So uh, here we go. friend of mine highlighted Lurk and was like, hey, you should check them out. And uh, the descriptor that they use that I really wholeheartedly agree with is that uh, you guys are a quote-unquote smart punk and not like, you know, smart Damn. punk, like the early, you know, 2000s. Like oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're familiar. Um, but I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and it, it immediately puts you in this, like, interesting category of, you know, bands like whatever ceremony or, you know, whatever, just like that, uh, smart slash cerebral punk. That's not just like, you know, the sort of straightforward by the book stuff. Uh, I'm going to guess that kind of resonates with you where you're like, Oh yeah. Like I like that description or that's just dumb. I don't want to be called that. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's fine. I like being called smart uh, because I'm not. So that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. But I mean, like you, you, you can see in the same way that like I have seen people describe, um, you know, whatever melodic hardcore bands as like, you know, like intelligent hardcore. And again, throwing, not throwing shots against, you know, whatever beat down bands, but like, you know, a band like comeback kid or whatever, where it's like, yeah, they're melodic and you know, they got something to say. So, um, yeah, yeah. totally. I totally get it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that that, uh, descriptor is something that you guys were, you know, I, I guess kind of intentional in going for originally. I mean, obviously as you're progressing as musicians that will continually evolve, but uh, was that kind of the, the space that you wanted to reside in initially? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess so. Like we, I mean, we've never called ourselves that, but like, I think having a purpose as a punk band is, uh, you know, important, uh, you, you look at bands like Fugazi or, or something like that. And, you know, there's like anarcho-punk and like what punk was. And then there were bands that took it further. And, and I mean, ultimately we became hardcore, you know, bands like Youth of Today and stuff. Um, started really using the platform to talk about issues and and really dive into to topics and, and flex your head, you know. So, uh, Yeah. Like I like stupid stuff too. I like heavy stuff. Like, uh, I don't mean to call heavy stuff stupid, but like I like simple stuff and like I like death metal and stuff that like isn't as um, 
you know, dives into like a, a topic or, or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think lyrically, uh, I need something to write about, and, and you know that. I guess you could describe it as that. Right. Case. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think the difficulty in articulating that is the, you know, as you are trying to express yourself artistically and, you know, I mean, most kids are doing that at, you know, whatever, 15, 16 years old when they start playing in bands and clearly like you don't have any grasp of the world and the lyrics you write then are absolutely atrocious. Yeah. And as you understand like, Oh, I can have maybe not a unique point of view, but a point of view and being able to attach that to something maybe greater than yourself. I think that there's, you know, there's two ways that you can go with that. There's one where you're talking about where you really kind of double down on the fact that like, Oh yes, I want this, you know, music and art to sort of say something or go the other way where it's like, I just want this to make people feel something. And again, either are right or wrong. It's just about the way that you want to lean into. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like pop music is pop music and, and songs like that. I mean, I equally love, you know, songs that are just simple and, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, any kind of platform, I mean, I think that's like the roots of punk is, is like, there was all this like pop and rock stuff going on that like felt like it didn't have a soul to it or it didn't have it wasn't talking about the important things going on and you know these young kids you know decided to use their voice to express these things and eventually it resonated with people and uh, it still does today I mean yeah like a lot of people have the same maybe become an echo chamber I try to avoid that echo chamber But when there's like issues going on, like police brutality and things like that, like obviously a lot of people are talking about them, but like, it, you know, it's good to express too with you know, your platform, even if that platform is, is small. Sure. And you've, it's one of those things where I'm sure you would feel remiss if you didn't like say something about it, whether it's writing a song about it or obviously expressing yourself, you know, on stage or social media or whatever, you'd be like, well, if I didn't say something, I feel like I would not be not performative in nature, but just like that. I want to make sure that, you know, the line of the sand is drawn. Definitely. I mean, I already take like an interest in political events and things I have, you know, my ear, uh, you know, I'm like in tune with what's going on with the world. So it would only make sense for me to talk about the things that are going on with the world. So, and there's definitely no shortage of it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of putting the focal point on you squarely as a person, like I was mentioning before we were recording, you are a, uh, you know, man of mystery in regards to the, uh, you know, internet. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but just the, um, you know, the, the interviews and, you know, press that circulates, usually there is kind of a, uh, a narrative that has started to be established with, you know, the band's point of view or, you know, the, uh, the fleet vocalist and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, I don't know anything about you, Kevin. Like I'm, I'm starting from absolutely blank. So, uh, you know, were you born and raised in the Chicago area or where'd you come up? Uh, yeah. So, um, I grew up like South of Chicago in the Burbs and then, um, 
I moved around a lot when I was younger. Uh, and I've consistently kind of moved around since I was like 13. Um, and, but I, you know, I still live in Chicago. Um, uh, I'm living there now. So, um, yeah, I grew up around Chicago, like suburbs, and then moved to the city when I was 21. Um, and yeah, so still live there. Uh, I love Chicago. Did you? I don't know if I'd leave, but yeah. Sure. Were you moving all around the greater Chicago area as you were moving around, or did you go to different states? Yeah, no, just around like the area, like uh, like with my dad. Like I moved out with my dad when I was young, like when I was like 13, and uh, we just kind of like hopped around uh, a bit. So, um, kind of like been all around like south and like southwest Chicago area. Um, but yeah, uh, now I live, like if you're familiar, like where White Sox play in Bridgeport, I'm living over there now. Um, but yeah, I love it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is a very, you know, it's quintessentially Midwestern, but at the same time, it also has all of these elements that, you know, make it feel like a very large city, not only because the population is, you know, relatively diverse, but then, you know, you have actual skyscrapers and stuff. And then, you know, you go to some towns that are large and it's like, this doesn't actually feel like that big of a town, but then, yeah. So Chicago is very unique from that, uh, at least from my perspective. Yeah. It is interesting. Like it feels so big, but it's funny. Like the area with like the skyscrapers, like that's like the loop, like no one, hangs out at least no one i hang out with hangs out there it's like all the areas surrounding there um like i'm kind of out of the way from most people uh because i'm on the south side and like a lot of people live on the north side like northwest side um but yeah it's like this like like wraps around that area i feel like that's in like most cities like no one really lives in like the financial major area or whatever it's kind of like the outskirts but yeah yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially just the, yeah, you're, you're thinking about the, you know, touristy area and people like, oh yeah, you can go see the, uh, the Wilco building and then the river. And then that's, uh, yes. that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, go, I probably will go over there like once every two years or something like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Uh, and so what was your family structure like as you were growing up, you know, mom and dad in the house, like you said, I know you moved out with your dad. So I'm going to guess that there's some separation uh there that was involved yeah uh yeah my parents uh split when i was like 12 or 13 and i i moved out with my dad um my other siblings stayed uh with my mom but i i moved with my dad and uh yeah we kind of just my dad was like going through a a time uh and money was tight so we like kind of moved around quite a bit um yeah and i went to a high school kind of farther away from like where i grew up to so uh, kind of like a strange time in my life uh like being a teenager but uh i mean that's like when i got into music like really heavy probably because of that um but yeah yeah you were looking for uh your your tribe so to speak yeah it's just like there was nothing not that I wasn't like a dork or anything, but um, it, it was just like I was always like kind of moving around and like went to this high school where I didn't like I, I didn't like anyone there. 
Um, I, I like a few people from there. Like, I still have a select few friends, but like, it wasn't like the kids I grew up with, and like, I was always moving around, so it was just like not uncommon for me on a weekend to just sit home and like play guitar like all night and right. just like discover music and stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, always being the new kid, I'm sure, did not help your cause. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's just. Just like strange times, but also like that's those are the years I like really got into to music, like subculture, I guess. Sure. What? Uh, or are you an only child? Uh, no, I had. Uh, you said your siblings with your mom. That's right. That's yeah, right. I have a, a younger brother and a younger sister. Got it. Got it. And were you, um, you know, I guess making that decision to go with one parent or another was that like on you, or was that kind of? like court mandated like how did that get kind of uh yeah no it was on me i uh yeah i didn't really get along with my mom at the time got well. it i mean i get along with both my parents now it's it's all good but uh yeah it was just like my choice um i don't know i just like was not getting along with my mom at the time and I, it was just like kind of a bad situation so sure. i just like packed up one day and just moved out uh, I guess in like eighth, seventh or eighth grade. Um, but yeah, so it was just me and my dad at the uh, bachelor pad. <laughs> but, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only only reason I ask is because that. Uh, I mean, at that age, you're completely well aware of you know why parents are sl- splitting apart and like that idea of having to make a decision kind of between the parents, even if you didn't get along. Like that. Well, it may seem easy at the time just based on like you said your kind of relationship at that juncture um you know i'm sure that that kind of weighed heavy in certain circumstances yeah definitely you know definitely a tough very tough time but uh i feel like that also like i'm not like the type to like resent you know for that like i truly don't care i'm, I'm a full-grown adult uh i don't like carry around this like trauma or this baggage from it but I kind of use it, like, I feel like that's helped me in a way. Like, I just, like, adapt quickly, and I, like, am unafraid of change for that reason. Um, just in general with life, like, just moving around a lot and, like, new settings. Like, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's just, like, kind of helped me grow right. as a person. Sure, that totally makes sense. And like you said, when you were, you know, kind of moving around and started to discover music, uh, kind of prior to music really sinking its teeth into you, what did you find yourself being attracted to? Were you like a sports kid? I mean, were you an indoor kid? Like, where did you find yourself? Yeah, like I I definitely played sports as a kid. Um, I played like baseball and and football and uh, I boxed in high school for a bit. Um, But uh, I, I really always was into music, like started playing guitar when I was like 10 and I'd been begging for a guitar like for years before that because my dad always like raised me on good music like Nirvana and, and like Talking Heads and stuff like he was always playing good stuff and because he's into music as well he never played an instrument but um so it's always been around uh so I've always like been like the kid who like played guitar but also played sports and it wasn't until I was like in my late teens that I like started playing in bands. Um, 
Yeah, no, I wasn't like a nerd, like a like a nerd, like or anything like that, or, or a jock really. Like I wasn't very good at sports. Sure, somewhere, somewhere in the middle, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be clear, I totally think you're a nerd, Kevin. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the uh, the attraction to you know guitar, like, was there any other uh, instrument that was? I mean. Some kids, obviously, you're either going the drum route or the guitar route. Like no one, I mean, very rarely do people go, oh man, I can't wait to like play bass guitar or whatever. <laughs> like, so yeah. was guitar basically the only thing? Well, my parents had this old piano in our house that my dad got from like his, his, his mom or like his aunt or something. I mean, it was like this hundred year old piano. And so they like wanted me to learn piano because they got this piano. Uh, so I took piano lessons for like a bit when I was a kid. And so like, like I did that, but like it sucked. I like didn't like it. I, I think it's cool. Now I play more piano now than I actually did back then. Um, but I was like playing piano and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, can, can you guys buy me a guitar or something? And like, it never would. And then like one year, like I got like this cheapo Yamaha guitar. When I was like 10. And then I just like dove into guitar like head first. Hell yeah. Was the, uh, like you said, your dad kind of started you off with that, you know, grunge alternative rock. Was that the first time that music kind of felt like your own, so to speak? Yeah. I remember like learning, like this was, this was a long time ago. So I remember like learning white stripe songs and like Sabbath and stuff and just like, just playing along in my room, you know, never like writing anything, but like, it felt like so fun. Like I'm doing this, you know, like I can't believe like I can do what these guys can do. Obviously not as good as, as them, but, um, and so that was like my thing. I just like learned songs like for forever. Like, and I would just like stay up all night, like learning songs. Were you just learning them off of, like just listening to the records over and over, or you like, you know, doing YouTube videos or what? Yeah. Either that or like guitar tabs online. I would just like, yeah. geek out over that. You know? <laughs> I love that idea of, I mean, you know, pre-internet where it's like, you could go into a guitar center and I mean, I know you can still buy the, those books of like, teach me how to play Metallica's black album. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I remember those. I mean, I don't know if I had any of those books, but I definitely remember like, cause we had like a, shitty like desktop computer so it was like i would print the tabs off and then like go in my room and like have the, t- the tabs printed off and, and try to learn them <laughs> i love i just love that idea of because I, I i totally understand what you're talking about of just you you feel like you've unlocked something where you're just like oh wow like if i follow this along i can get this 80 percent right and i sound sick yeah Something like that sounded so like crazy before and it looks crazy. Like if you don't play guitar, you know, as a kid and you're watching like music videos or whatever, like how are these guys doing like chord shapes are like intimidating and then just like getting better and better. It's like, that was so fun. Just like watching, watching yourself get better at something. And that was like the quickest, like sports that never clicked for me, like where I could watch my, self get better and for guitar it was it was just like wow like you know within 
two days I've like learned this guitar riff that like I never thought I could play. Uh, it just like was like addictive. Yeah. What else of the early musical discoveries were you get, like getting into at that time? Um, I mean, I was like, 12 or 13. So I could definitely remember like white stripes, green day, blink. Um, and then like later came like new metal, like system of a down and stuff like that. I was like a huge fan. But I was also like into a ton of classic rock. Like, I've always been really into classic rock, just like from my dad, but like, Pink Floyd was a huge band, so I would like learn a ton of Pink Floyd and Sabbath and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. With the because, uh, like you said, you're around you know twelve, thirteen, and that uh, you know you're clearly highly impressionable at that point. And I also love that age because it's not like you're really putting this music in context as like separate scenes. Like you can yeah. tell the difference sonically between the bands, but it's not like you're, you would look at it and say that this band, it belongs to this band who then all of a sudden turned into this band. You'd just be like, I just like it or I don't like it. Yeah. That's like where you really find out what you're unknowingly going to, going to be like, you just have such an innocent mind that whatever sounds good to your ear, you're going to gravitate towards. And yeah, it's just, it is interesting. Like if I had never been shown, you know, blink or like Weezer at that time, who knows if I would have been in, into like guitar as much or like if I would have went a different way or something like that. Sure. And as you started to go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole of music discovery and finding out about, you know, the subcultures, like you were saying, what, um, what was kind of that initial jumping off point for, uh, like, like getting more, into bands or just like music? Yeah. More like, you know, uh, more deeper levels of like, Oh, now I found out about, you know, victory or whatever. Yeah. Um, so like I was like, I think my first concert I think was Ozfest uh like 2006 um, oh okay and I was 13 or 14 um that's that's pretty edgy did your uh did your dad go with you or were you guys just no my uh he like I had gone concerts with my parents before like free stuff you know like whatever they wanted to go to but like first like concert I like had my dad like buy tickets for it was Ozfest because I wanted to see Ozzy, System Up Down, uh, I don't know a bunch of other bands were playing. It was pretty crazy, but um, I had him buy tickets for that. And he like I was going with a friend, like me and my friend bought tickets. His dad like dropped us off and 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 we just went in for the day by ourselves. But yeah, it was like I remember like being totally shocked. Uh, because we walked in and it was, I think like bleeding through was playing like while we were walking in and I was like, you know, I was like 14 or something. So I was like, Oh my God, like what is going on? And then, <laughs> you know, that was, a, that, but that's still like a big concert. Like first show, like show show was at the Congress here in Chicago. Uh, and I was going for darkest hour who was on victory. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. Um, yeah, well, ha- I had to uh, just based around Chicago. It was you know you had to mention yeah. victory. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was definitely when I got into, like... Because I liked punk and I liked thrash. Like, I liked punk, like, not edgy punk. Like, Blink and Green Day and, and MXPX and stuff. But then, like, I got into, like, Slayer. Like, huge. Like, Slayer was huge for me. And mm-hmm. so, like, when I heard, like, Darkest Hour, they are like, kind of thrashy. Like, they're, like, definitely a metalcore band, but they were, like, thrashy. Oh, yeah, so for I, sure. like, that band like got me because that was like 2007 like that was huge for me because that was like showing me i went to that show and like every time i die was playing and like all these like ferret records bands and stuff like that and that was like a game changer for me that was like a real show it felt like not like a concert like the bands were walking around you know they're selling their own merch that, that was probably my, I think that was my first like show show. Right. Where you can establish the difference between like clearly going to a festival <laughs> out in a field and, you know, randomly running into, you know, Norma Jean or a tray or whatever. And then right. <laughs> you be, deliberately going to see these bands play at a smaller place. Like there's a, there's a real line in the sand there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. That was like pivotal, like to me getting like hardcore from like, yeah I, I also like that our articulation of being able to kind of see what you like and then have a band be able to express that musically like you were saying all these you know random influences kind of led into you being ready to completely walk into darkest hour and say oh i get what you guys are doing like really yeah. get what you're doing yeah like they like I could get why someone would just be like, Oh, that's a victory metalcore band. Cause it for sure is. But like, again, with like that innocent mind of, of like a teenager to me, I hear the drums. I'm like, damn, this sounds like Dave Lombardo or something like this sounds thrashy. And, and to me, cause I don't know like the metalcore scene. So I, I'm just stoked on it. And so then I go and see all these other bands and you know, that's how you, how you get into it. I'm obsessed with band merch to the point where I know the blanks that bands print on being like, oh man, I don't want that blank because it fits terribly. And because of that, I think that I am qualified to speak about this company. And you know what's coming if you are a regular listener of this podcast, but that is rockabilia.com. They use good blanks. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they don't choose the blanks that they, uh, that they print on, but they get it sent from the band. But regardless rockabilly is the place that you need to order all of your band merch and use this code 100 words or less that's the number 100 and you will be able to get 10 percent off your entire order they have so much officially licensed stuff and the reason i use the words officially licensed is because it's all above the board bands get paid they have rad designs it is a very virtuous cycle that happens with rockabilly because you the consumer are on a win-win scenario here. You get a discount by using the code. You get high-quality band merch shipped to you very quickly and efficiently. And then on the back end, the bands get paid. You're supporting an independent business. That's literally four awesome things <laughs> that you get as the end user. I could list more, but uh, I just want you to go to rockabilly.com because you will have so much fun on that website. And then when you're ready to check out 100 words or less, the number 100, that gets you 10% off. Enjoy in perpetuity 
the awesomeness that is rockabilly.com. Once you start to place all those pieces together of finding out the record labels and then the bands that are on those record labels and you're like, oh, they're all touring together. Okay, I get this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember like looking up all the other bands after that show and like finding so much music because I mean that lineup, it was like this huge lineup. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Pivotal year, I guess. For me. Sure. And since it was, you know, around that time where you, you know, had access to the internet and it was you know, clearly out of its infancy stages and file sharing was a thing, were you doing a lot of your music discovery via, uh, I mean, obviously that was a big MySpace era. Um, you know, how were you kind of, I guess, sampling bands and tripping across new artists? Yeah, I definitely like MySpace and, and YouTube and stuff. Um, sure. Top eights. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to think about. I haven't thought about that in so long, like how I, I, I found these bands. But. I know, I know. And it, it, it is funny when you think about that, or it's like, you know, people talk about, you know, oh yeah, pure volume or like, you know, mp3.com. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like people would murder themselves to be on the front page. And then now it's like, you, you would say it to any kid under the age of 20, they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like I forgot about the top eight. And like, if you liked a band and went on their MySpace, like, you looked at who was on our top eight and that's like eight new bands you're going to be listening to. It's, it's, that's wild. I totally forgot about that. We need to bring that back. No, for sure. <laughs> there should be some, um, discovery mechanism in, and then also your ability to control like, Oh yes, here's the bands we're closest with. Like yeah. here's, here's, here's what's on our Spotify page or whatever. Twitter, Twitter needs a top eight. We need more beef to be on the internet. I need top eight beef in 2021. Totally, totally. Or whoever can have the most outrageous, um, you know, profile photo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, maybe I, maybe it's an idea for Lurik to just really lean into you know whatever mid two thousands aesthetic and like have a lot of neon and you know like vomit oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, we're on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I mean, it really fits your music too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> of course. And so as you were, you know, figuring out how all of these bands and scenes kind of intertwined with one another, did you immediately get taken by the fact that you wanted to play in a band and participate in that way? Or was there other, you know, were you taking photos at shows? Was there other ways that you were trying to, you know, I guess, be a part of it? I mean, that for, like not right away, because that was still like intimidating for me. I was like, wow, this is like, those bands seemed so much older than me, even though they weren't like, they were probably like 18, 19 years old as well. I was 13 or 14. It just seemed like they had been doing it forever. I'm like, how is this? Like, you can't do that. Like, and, but the, I mean, they were also kids, but yeah, it took me until I was like, I started like jamming with, with kids when I was like 16 or something like that. Once I could like drive, um, or, or one of our friends could drive and, uh, yeah. And that's like when I started like playing in bands, like metalcore stuff and whatever. And then, um, yeah. Interesting. And I'm guessing that, uh, you, I mean, Lurik is most likely not your first band. You probably did something, you know, maybe slightly embarrassing before this or maybe not embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. assuming. Okay. Yeah. Not, not good stuff. Uh, for sure. Well, I mean, I, I, shouldn't say that. I mean, good for the time, I'm sure. It is, yeah. It is. 
so what were you playing guitar and singing for those or what were you doing in there? No, I played guitar. Lurk is the first, um, I've like sang in like little extensive like, bands, like, like me and my friends years ago used to make like, just like make a band and like play a couple shows and then it would never surface again. And I like have sang in those, but like Lurk is like the first real band I've like been a singer in. Uh, otherwise, I've been, yeah, I've been mainly a guitar player. And I was actually playing guitar in Lurk at the start. Um, and then I switched to just vocals. And then and then you realize the uh, error in your ways because you're like, dude, I don't even need equipment. And like people pay so much more attention to me. No, I'm just yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's funny. Now I have I play synth live and I have like, like effect pedals and stuff. And I was like, you're at practice recently. I'm like, man, I am back to like, Lugging gear on this sucks. I thought it was out of it, dude. Yeah, that you completely screwed the pooch on that one, bud. Yeah, I know. That's a, it's okay. I mean, you can you can drop it at any time. That's what is the beautiful part about you know being a lead vocalist. Yeah, definitely. Right, and and you don't have to help anybody else load, obviously. Oh yeah, of course. I get no. I do the merch. That's that's the fun part that I have to do. It, it's it's a tale as old as time, Kevin. I, I don't understand why it, it's it, these seem like walking cliches, but it's like that is totally true. It's like any vocalist, it's like, oh yeah, you got to sell merch because you don't have to carry the equipment. And you're just like, do, but do I have to? Is that like a requirement? But it always happens. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair, but it's it it's definitely not fun after a while. Like, you know, ten shows in a row or something. It's like, man, that green room is looking nice right now. <laughs> especially the idea that after you're done playing you have to try to pull yourself together and compose yourself enough to where it's like okay Immediately i can't run over yeah <laughs> totally. i can't just like sweat all over the merch like i gotta try to yeah make yeah. something of myself yeah that was that was our last tour it was me like running off stage back to the table sweating and uh yeah selling merch yeah. right right trying uh, to get back to it Right, exactly. So as you were going through, you know, high school and like looking forward to the future, so to speak, was there any, uh, I guess, kind of life path on what you wanted to, you know, do with yourself? Was it like, oh, I'm going to enter, you know, education or I'm going to do this? Or was it just kind of like, well, I know I want to do music no matter what. So I guess I'll just figure out these sort of transient things while I, per, you know, pursue the band stuff. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like, I like moved to the city when I was like 21 and was like playing in like not very serious bands. Um, just like, cause I liked playing music. It's always been something I just do. And like, I never thought to like take a band serious to like tour. It was always just like starting a band with like friends, like, Hey, let's start this kind of band. And like, you know, our, the goal was just like open shows for whoever's come, you know, whatever tour was rolling through time. But, um, so yeah, I did like jobs, since then, uh, I was like a union railroader for, uh, for years and I was an EMT. Um, and, uh, I just did like stuff like that and just played in bands on the side. And then it wasn't until, uh, till Lurk really that it was like, well, this, you know, we could actually tour, you know, we, you know, there is like interest in this and like, there's definitely like a higher ceiling and maybe some opportunity to, to pursue this so you know, we've, we've been going at it right right 
A lot of uh, a lot of work with your hands, Kevin. A lot of uh, you know, I mean, working yeah. in the railroad is not uh, that's not light work by any stretch of the imagination. Nor is yeah. being an EMT. Yeah, it doesn't require a, a degree though, so that was <laughs> and, it, and it paid good. So that was my uh, that was the motive. But um, I ended up going back to college while I, while I worked at the railroad, and I actually did get a degree. Um, so I was doing, I was juggling full-time school, full-time work and like the beginnings of, of work for a while. But, uh, wow. That's, that, that is a lot. It's been a crazy few years. Yeah. That was sure. like three or four years ago. Were, uh, so I guess like, I mean, when I close my eyes and think of like working on the railroad, were you literally like, you know, fixing tracks? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that is exactly what I did. Uh, we were, uh, I was a trackman, and so it was like we were spiking. You know, if you ever see the guys like swinging the hammer over their heads, like hitting those those things down. Yeah, that was that was me. Damn. Yeah, that's that's like obviously old school stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how it hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also really like. I, I, I'm sure you you know have at least heard of the band of Vale. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. And I know that like they they sort of romanticized and I know at one point like Tim Berry, the vocalist, like traveled around on train by like, you know, hitchhiking and stuff like that. So I've always, you know, the connection between like punk and railroads have always kind of existed. And so I just find it interesting that there there's still that connection, you know, even though, like you said, the technology hasn't changed in you know, yeah. hundreds of years. I mean, it's gotten more sophisticated as far as planning, but still the base of it is still the same. Yeah. It, there is like a deep, deep, uh, railroad, uh, like subculture. Like there used to be people when I was working, like, I didn't think much of it cause I was just like, this sucks. Like I'm, it's a hundred degrees out. I'm like, just like want to get this day over with, but there were people like stoked. Not that I worked with people would like come and like take pictures of us like working or like of these like rare trains and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so there's definitely like railroad fanatics. I mean, I'm not really, I think it's, some of it's cool. But, uh, yeah. Dude, that, that kind of blows my mind that people would come and take pictures of you. That sounds like, like not of us, but they like take pictures of us working. And it was like, man, this is kind of weird. I don't like someone taking pictures. They'd be like up on a bridge, you know, like on like, <laughs> the overpass, like taking pictures and, and like, I've come across these groups on Facebook. It, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I, we have a group of friends that like discovered this and like sent it to each other. Cause it is like, these people are obsessed. Like they're yeah. like, Oh, new, new turnout going in over on whatever. And they know all the lingo and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's a ama- Yeah. That's yeah. like next. I mean, it's the same way that, you know, people like you and I can talk about really nerdy seven inches. It's the same oh, thing. Yeah. They're just, they're called foamers that's what they're called they call them foamers but if you call them foamer they get like really offended foamer so like is that an adjective that you can use on anybody that's like obsessed with something or is it just no i've only heard it about train people i've only wow but then like if if you call them that i guess they get offended wow okay all right i as they say no 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 i will not go into a model train store and call them a foamer like yeah (laughs) Neil, Neil Young, former. Okay, all right. I just never put that together. Okay, good to know. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, like you said, there was no real path of the idea that you could, you know, do music full time and stuff like that. But then, as 
Lurik started to, you know, put out stuff. Because, I mean, you guys started to put out, like, did your demo come out? It was like 2018, 2019, somewhere around there? 2017, uh, okay. like the summer. And then, yeah, yeah, so around there. And so when you started to, I, I guess, have an idea that, like, oh, yes, we can actually, you know, tour and get a little bit farther than all of our other previous musical output. Um, were you comfortable with the idea of, you know, kind of like the business implications? And, you know, I, I use that maybe in air quotes cause clearly you can't see me, but you know, getting paid a hundred dollars for a show, like that's still a business transaction. So were you comfortable with that? No, <laughs> uh, I mean, it sucks. Uh, that part, but like we've figured out, like, we all like have kind of just like managed like our uh, Pedro, our drummer, he's like a bartender and it like works out and like we all kind of just like manage, but originally it wasn't like we were going to like tour like all the time. It was just like, we put out the lyric demo and we're like, yeah, we'll do like a five day run here and like a five day run there with like different bands. And like, we like went to the West coast and did some shows with dare. And and that was just like, you know what we were going to do. And then, um, not until like more recently, like past like year, like two years, uh, like when we signed up here and always was like, okay, like, you know, now let's like start giving it a go, like a real go. Sure. And when you, I guess, started to tour more seriously and start to get out there, did you like it when you initially did it? Or was that something you had to kind of grow to enjoy? Yeah, I mean, we we just, like, love playing. Like, it doesn't get old. Like, we, we've done, like, a handful of just, like, short tours and then did that, did this uh, tour with, with uh, Grayscale, um, like, right before the pandemic. And that was, like, five weeks. Um, and, no, I mean, by the end of it, we were, like, I want to play again. And we did. We played, like, a week later that was like the last show before the shutdown. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just like love playing it. Like seriously, doesn't get old. Like, yeah, like conditions may suck like sleeping or, or whatever, but like, I, I don't know. We're always just like itching to play. Right. Like all of the other things that may quote unquote suck about touring are like, that's not important because you get to play a show and sweat with your yeah. friends. Yeah, it's like those those things kind of just like we will go to like lengths to just play live. I mean, most musicians do when you think about it. It's like you're literally hauling like thousands of pounds of gear like upstairs and like doing, you know, driving for four hours a day to make, you know, not a lot of money. Like what you could probably make in like Uber or something. And it's because like, do you want to play? And that's, that's the case with us. It's just, if we can like survive doing this, that's worth it because we just get to play our songs and pay our bills or just survive. Right. Exactly. Obviously retire with punk rock money, you know, that's the goal, right? Yeah. And we're going to sell our song or car commercial or something and then just be done forever. Right, right. Well, I'm sure. I mean, th- that's actually been something I've I've thought of recently. Just the the concept of selling out, frankly, doesn't exist anymore, in my opinion. Um, 
because whatever, if you look at the early nineties and that concept was so ripe and bands would legitimately be like, there's no way our song would ever be played in a commercial, even if it's something we believe in because, you know, we'll just be called posers or whatever. Um, and I'm sure I'm not saying that, you know, you've been offered millions of dollars to license your songs for, you know, a video game or something like that. But, um, I, I'm sure that that thought process has come across your guys's, you know, desk, whether it's, and I use again, desk as a air quotes or, you know, in email inbox or whatever of like, yeah. Oh, do we want to do this? Or like, you know, do we sign with pure noise or like, do we make these decisions where, you know, people could feel a way about it? Yeah. I mean, who cares? Like do what's going to like be good for you and like allow you more opportunity to, to do what you want to do. Like, you definitely have to be conscious of what you're doing, not to be corny or whatever, but like, I mean, and we have that, those conversations, like that it was, is a factor, but ultimately like, you know, if some, if someone like, like you said, pure noise, like pure noise, when we got offered to sign with them, it was like, no hesitation. Yeah. Why not? Like they want to put out our records. Why wouldn't we do that? Uh, you know, I don't know. Just take what comes and do you. And I feel like things will come to you. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think, yeah, if you clearly make decisions based off of what other people either think of you or what other people's perceptions are of you, you know, that's like a a fruitless endeavor, but you know, that does, like you said, that does have to play a part of a decision-making process, but that shouldn't be the only factor. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta like be really putting out some like interesting stuff and things will come to you rather than trying to play something that you think could fit into this box and get you the key to, to whatever. It's usually not going to work that way because someone's already done that. Like, you know, I'm not going to write a song because I think it would sound good on, you know, this kind of commercials. Likely it's going to suck and, you know, no one's going to want it. But like making something that truly is your own and, and different, I feel like those things come to you. And that's like, I don't know, in my opinion, that's the way I, I like to go about things. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you don't feel like you're right. Just like creating something to be a part of the conversation. You're like, oh, exactly. well, we got to do this because everyone else is doing this. Right, exactly. And, and kind of along those same lines, the fact that you guys, you know, uh, I mean, honestly, it's like Lurk and, you know, Mundy's Bay or whatever. Like, <laughs> you guys are this distinct corner of the, you know, Pure Noise universe um, from a sonic perspective. And then most of the touring opportunities and bands you've played with definitely, you know, aren't like, yes, they're part of the same scene, but they clearly don't sound like you, you know, whatever playing shows with dare. And like you mentioned, your you know, your tour with grayscale. It, do you find it that you guys are more for lack of a better term, successful on bills that you stick out like a sore thumb and, you know, I'm being a little exaggerating there, but where you don't sound like all the other bands or is it the fact that, Hey, I would like to, tour with bands that you know maybe had a little more sonic similarities to us but it just hasn't come to us as of yet yeah i mean i feel like i like mixed bills and and i think we do do well when it's like 
something where we stick out a little bit because people are just going to be like taken back and, and I don't know, it's just has worked in our favor. Like with that great scale tour, it was, we are definitely like the heaviest band on the tour. We're not really heavy, like definitely the like rawest band, uh, on the tour. And like that, cause it was like a, well, a younger fan base for sure. And they like gravitated towards it. Cause it was like, Oh my God, like, what is this? You know? And that was great. Um, you know, like I love that. Like, rather than playing to a bunch of kids that like already you walk on stage and they kind of already have you like, you know, set up in their head for like what you're going to be. They kind of already have like an impression of you and I feel like it's easier to get judged because it's like, there's no separation. Like if we were to tour with like, I don't know, like angel dust and culture abuse or something like we always get compared to that. Like I definitely would. It's no, not saying I wouldn't. I love those. I love angel dust. All right. Sure. Culture abuse. But, uh, you know, it'd be like that bill, although I would do it and, and it would be awesome. It's like, uh, I don't know. Like there is an art to putting a good bill together. I think and like not having every band sound too alike. Um, I don't know. Yeah. We're always kind of playing that balancing act, I think. Yeah. No, I I know it is difficult because it's real easy uh, to sort of be the old man on the porch and say, oh, it was great when you had all these, you know, you had bands like Spaz and Get Up Kids playing together. I wish it was like that. And then, you know, it swung the other direction where, you know, a metalcore package went out and all the bands sounded relatively the same. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think that there is intrinsic value in exactly what you're talking about, where you are the odd band out. And while most people may be like, what the hell is this band doing on here? Mm-hmm. It, there, are, there is a percentage of that crowd that will be like, I'm glad this band doesn't sound like this. It's giving my ears a break from whatever sonic similarities the other bands have. Definitely. I mean, that was, those are like my favorite packages. It's like, like even what Turnstile is doing now, like, they are playing like single shows with like select lineups or like when they do a, a tour, they have like legs of it and like all these other bands will play and none of them sound alike. Like they're all like, you know, somewhat adjacent to hardcore or punk or whatever, but like they're all totally different. And I think that rocks. It's just like, you know, I don't want to see five bands in a row. That just, you know, odds are like those kids already know that all five of those bands. So like, what's the yeah, absolutely. Um, I know this is kind of reversing it, but when you start, you know, like after you went to, you know, Darkest Hour and started to explore all the ferret bands and stuff like that, um, what were some of those other bands that you kind of like initially latched onto that were of that independent variety? Um, I mean, I was like in the metalcore for sure. And I, I mean, and do not be embarrassed about calling out bands because there's nothing embarrassing about the bands that you got into initially. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, like Darkest Hour was like the one for like the heavy, like metal scene until sure. like the next like pivotal band. Like I definitely found like Terror and stuff, but then I found Weekend Nachos and like Harm's Way at the same time. Um, Hell yeah. They're both from Chicago. And that was like when I like 
started going to like DIY shows. Um, so it went from like going to like, you know, clubs or whatever to see like all these metalcore bands and like metalcore bands, like I'm sure, you know, like at least back then definitely had like an attitude. There was like a little bit of a moment where like, there was like some rock star attitudes going on. Uh, more in like scene, like the scene scene, you know, like beyond metalcore. Um, and like, it still felt like you were being talked down to at, sh- at some of these shows, like these singers and stuff. And there was still just like some of the smoke and mirrors that it just like, some of them were putting on this, it just kind of got to be kind of phony. And then when I found like harm's way and weekend nights, was like ceremony and like going to like a show in a basement, that was like another level, you know, like of just like, oh my God, this is even more like, you know, intimate and like you really can just like start a band and just like play a show to like a bunch of kids freaking out to your music. And, and so, yeah, that was another one for me. No, it's, I, I'm really glad that you found that and especially bands that could not have more different sonic similarities. But what's important is the fact that they were, you know, from your backyard. And I love that mm-hmm. when you find your, you know, first band or two in the local scene that has some national presence, but you still feel like it's your own, you know, it's like, Oh damn, dude, they're from, yeah. they're from my city. It's cool. Yeah. My friend showed me weekend nachos in like 2009. And I just like went to see it. Like I was like, there was this like Facebook group, uh, like all the DIY shows around Chicago. And I saw they were playing. I was like, we got to go. And, um, I just like met John, their singer, and I became good friends with him actually. And I actually lived with him years later. Uh, and we're still good friends. Um, but yeah, that's like how close knit that whole like crowd can be. It's just like, who knew I would like go to this show, like this band that I like. And then years later, I'm like friends with all these people and, and I don't know. It's, it rocks. I mean, that's still like this scene. I, I back, I mean, weekend nachos is broken up now, but like that's, uh, you know, those are like my fondest memories of, of going to shows for sure. I also, I mean, it's really cool because I, I love Chicago has always had that, fast core scene. I mean, I know that's a, whatever, a silly name for it, but it's like, you know, Los Crudos, MK ultra, like the lineage just continues on. And it's so rad when bands, you know, maybe the music kind of dies down, but then it kind of comes roaring back and then you're able to be like, Oh yeah, I see why this band sounds like this. And they're from this area. So it's so cool. And especially to have that in Chicago, because I mean, clearly there's no, separation of band members anymore from localities. Cause you can be anywhere and play in a band, you know? Right. Yeah. It's funny. Like all those bands are like nachos, harm's way. It's all like, you know, the same crowd of people. Um, and they sound, I mean, they all still like, play in bands. Well, not all of them, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that, um, you, I mean, you know, like you said, you signed with Pure Noise. You guys are, you know, more focused on being a quote unquote real band, uh, you know, to pursue opportunities and tour and kind of get out there. Um, does, uh, is there, and this may be very sort of philosophical or 
too prodding, but um, you know, is there anything I guess you guys are uh, fearful of or trepidatious towards, or is it one of those things where you're just kind of viewing this as a collective experience? Yeah. I mean, ever since last year, it's kind of, I think everyone's just kind of taking things as they come. I mean, I, I hope stuff doesn't start uh, going in reverse you know, like we have our first show in a year and a half, over a year and a half next week. Um, and I can't wait. And at the same time, though, as that's approaching, I'm seeing like COVID cases rise and like I'm, another mask mandate went into effect here. And I'm just like, oh, my God, please. It's like <laughs> happening all over again in like, the same time period. Um, so, I mean, we're all fearful of that. I think, I think a lot of people are, and it's just kind of like destabilized the whole industry. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, like it, it's been really hard. It's like everything changes so quickly and the music industry is just so vulnerable, especially being a musician. It's just a gig worker and, and, rely on performing in front of crowds and I don't know, hopefully everything goes well. So. Yeah. No, it, I mean, I think it also with everything that everybody has gone through from every creative pursuit understands the, it's never been laid more bare of how uh, we as a society and a country just do not support that the creative arts in any capacity. Um, yeah, that's crazy. and I know, yeah, it is. I mean, cause it's like, I just always, I've been endlessly fascinated with the, um, you know, basically, I mean, most third world countries, I mean, a lot of the Scandinavian countries that have such a robust, uh, you know, arts program where it's like, you know, you have all the Swedish death metal bands, like literally being able to make livings off yeah. and meager livings, but like they're, it's like, you know, Fenris from dark throne. It's like that dude hasn't worked in like 30 years. And like, yeah. that's sick. <laughs> it's it's like, so it's so wild. Like I hear stories. Um, I mean, Canada also, like you, I know you get some kind of, uh, benefit. I don't know what it is. I'm I'm not really sure, but every, it seems, yeah, it seems like every country, but here is more supportive of the arts. And this is the country where like, it's like maybe the largest market in the world. It, It like doesn't make sense. It's honestly bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I hear no. stories about like people from the UK, like, uh, like the Afternoon Gentlemen and, and all these like grind bands in the UK, and it's just like they have like holiday, they have like they're yeah, just in Europe in general. There's it just seems like you could just like be a touring crusty dude, and somehow I mean, there's like all these like I don't know if they're hostels or like they're like punk houses that are like shared. And it's just so much easier over there. But I don't know. Grass is always greener, I guess. It's true. I I think we do have a plan for you. So obviously you don't need to live in the States anymore. You guys need to completely lean into the mid 2000s aesthetic. Um, And then I I think at that point you guys will be successful for 10 to 15 years, bare minimum. Absolutely. We're going to get our space back and it's going to work out. That's great. That's great. I'm gonna. I'll. Uh, I'll send an email to uh, Jake. He'll. Uh, you know. Basically, let all of Pure Noise know that you're going to do this. So that's um, the plan. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Cool. 
Well, joking aside, Kevin, I really appreciate you hanging out. This has been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. There we go. That was Mr. Kevin from Lurk. And like I said, you need to check out their newest record that got released on Pure Noise called Around the Sun. It is a great romp around the punk-adjacent world. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you very much, James, his PR person extraordinaire for bringing the idea to me. And I always love when those ideas are are good. <laughs> and they are met with me being like, you know what, that is a good idea. It's, uh, it's fun when that happens. But next week is a interview that I chased down personally because I wanted him on the podcast for quite some time. Mike Kinsella, emo legend. And, uh, you know, I maybe jokingly say that, but he is a dude that has created a lot of amazing music of the indie rock slash emo variety, American football, Owen, Captain Jazz. He, the list could go on, but uh, Owls, let's not forget Owls. Loved Owls. Love what they did. But anyways, Mike is a, uh, he was a great hang and it was really fun because uh, I was able to uh, pick his brain about why the hell American football uh, is now playing in front of thousands of people and um, they weren't. <laughs> forever they weren't even a real band and then all of a sudden they're a real band it's such a wild ride but we also talked to mike about uh, owen and all the cool stuff he has going on there so fun chat is ahead next week so until then please be safe everybody